Hello, and welcome to another edition of Across the States. I'm your host, Matt Fisher, and joining us today to discuss the bipartisan infrastructure deal and its recent passage into law to the House of Representatives is Jonathan Hohenschild, Director of the Communications and Technology Task Force here at ALEC. Jonathan, welcome to Across the States. Great to have you back. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Doing well. I've been keeping a little busy with this infrastructure bill and focusing on how it's going to impact tech and innovation. So five months ago, this bill was unveiled in a press conference of U.S. Senators. There were 10 overall, noteworthy Mark Warner, Mitt Romney, Kirsten Sinema, and others. Maggie Hassan, I believe, was in the group as well. A group of notable senators from both sides of the aisle, Rob Portman from my own home state, proposed this bill as a bipartisan effort, a $1 trillion infrastructure package. Now, that passed the Senate months ago with 19 Republicans in favor. I believe every Democrat supported it as well. However, in the subsequent months up until last week, this bill was stuck in the House, and now it is finally law. So there's a tug of war within the Democratic Party over passing it on its own or passing it in conjunction with the Build Back Better plan. But for our listeners who may not know the details or want to, you can fill in the cracks for them. What is the Bipartisan Infrastructure Deal, also known as House Resolution 3684, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act that is now headed to the Resolute Desk for Biden's signature? What does all this entail? Well, there, there's obviously a lot. Supposedly, it's supposed to focus on infrastructure. So what we tend to think of roads, bridges, or in the tech space, that would also include broadband deployment, actual poles, actual wires, satellites, fill in the blank. That's what it's supposed to focus on. And, and some of the money does indeed go there. And let's also clarify that a lot of this is, in fact, necessary to both ensure that we have the ability to go from place to place, as well as trucks can get from point A to point B. But a lot of it is, I would call it pork, because it's commerce department shall study XYZ. And of course, whenever you hear study XYZ, that means the consultants and the contractors get to line their pockets with a report that may or may not have an impact on future policy. There's a lot of goodies thrown into the bills, you're saying. Yes. So looking at this, let's start off with first the obvious, you know, marketed portion of the bill, which is, of course, transportation. When you think of infrastructure, you think of every campaign ad showing workers building bridges, roads, the whole Eisenhower interstate highway systems often invoked as an example of bipartisan infrastructure investments. We always refer back to that. We talk about the idea of building the economy of the future. So how much of this bill is actually dedicated to transportation here? Now, transportation is not all infrastructure, but it is what comes to mind when we think of infrastructure. It's what politicians sell us when it comes to infrastructure. So what can you tell our listeners about the overall impact and how this will change the future of transportation, if at all? Well, the future of transportation is a little questionable at this point. Again, I'm not going to talk about roads, talk about bridges. I'm going to look at technology and the future of technology. And one of the things that I've noted as at a cursory level review of the infrastructure bill is that it tends to lock in a lot of existing technologies or technologies that are quite frankly, outdated at this point. And then that are going to increase the cost for consumers for vehicles. Gotcha. Let's just take a couple examples. One, they're going to lock in a drunk driving sensor technology for all new vehicles. So, you know, basically presumes that those vehicles are going to be driven by drunk drivers. And they're right. going to try to stop that. 
So if you don't have an alcohol problem, you're going to be subsidizing the cost of owning a vehicle for those that do. They're also locking in, or at least attempting to lock in, some technology with respect to the connectivity of vehicles. With 5G, with small cell technology emerging, we really do have an all-of-the-above approach to increase safety. But yet, there are interests at stake that technologies have been developed but never employed and never used, and it looks like the infrastructure bill attempts to lock in some of those technologies. Again, these are technologies that are five, even 10 years old, so they are outdated. Now, the way technology works, if you're trying to lock in a technology, forget five, 10 years. That's even two years old. Right. It's outdated. Well, the new iPhone every single year. Yeah. Five years ago, you had headphone jacks for your uh, iPhone. Now, it's straight yeah. Bluetooth at this point. Yeah. So, I mean, imagine Congress coming in with that analogy and saying that you shall always have this type of headphone jack, that you shall always have this type of screen resolution because it's the safest for the eyes, that you shall always have this type of hepatic feedback or right. non-hepatic feedback. And that you always have to have this layout and this format because people are comfortable with it and it's efficient. Right. It provides no ability to experiment with different things. So it's applying a rigid bureaucracy in legalistic terms to an industry that's constantly evolving. So 10 years from now, we will have to revisit this, you think, because it will cause headaches for consumers. Correct. So some of the areas where it's good, at least in concept it's still going to limit technology. So there's something like $7.5 billion designated for developing and building electric vehicle charging infrastructure. Right. Again, inherently good. We're going to need that, especially as electric vehicles become more and more affordable to the affordable, broader market. Common. Right. Once we get the Model T yeah. of electric vehicles, this makes sense, but... But the way the requirements are worded is it excludes Teslas. Ah. So well Teslas then. will not benefit. So <laughs> in fact, the most common electric vehicle currently on the road is excluded. And there, wow. there's, there's something interesting here as far as wording, because this bill is also what I would consider for tech and innovation an anti-Tesla bill. Anti-Tesla bill. Okay. There is wording in here that actually concerns me for the future of autonomous vehicles. Hmm. The specific technology is that Congress directs the Department of Transportation to study ways to reduce, quote, driver distraction, end quote, and then issue rules. Now, the problem with that is they're focusing on what they're calling distraction mitigation systems. Okay. For our listeners, what does that mean? That's a really good question. Not too many people know what that actually means, but what they're talking about are automated systems that can cause complacency by drivers. Hmm. what they're looking at is all the reports from Tesla of crashes where the driver's not paying attention. And for those that don't know Tesla, Tesla has a system where they can tell if your hand is on the wheel or not. Interesting. And if your hand's not on the wheel, it's going to eventually disengage autopilot, pull to the side of the road, and basically tell you to start paying attention again. But technically, any autonomous vehicle that's going to be developed 
is going to be abused. The system is going to be abused by drivers. You're, right. It doesn't matter whether it's a Tesla, a GM. We've all seen rush hour. Right? Yeah. We've all been in the middle of rush hour. Drivers abuse their vehicles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't have to have an autonomous technology. Yeah. You could have a tractor and you can still abuse your vehicle. But yeah, sorry, go on. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, how many times have you seen women putting on makeup or guys eating? And <laughs> I've seen someone brush their teeth at six in the morning on the way to work. But yeah. So this is going to open a can of worms, you're saying, yeah. in terms of the overall impact on yeah. the drivers. By trying to harm Tesla, and, and I know it's taking it to an extreme and using some rhetoric, but theoretically, any autonomous system is going to result in driver distractions because right. they're going to think they can do something else rather than drive. A false sense of security. So it's a false sense of security. But more importantly, not only is it a study, it requires the DOT to issue new rules that, quote, minimize or eliminate, end quote, these automated complacency systems. So are they effectively saying that any autonomous vehicle has to be completely autonomous to the point where it's functional on its own? I'm not clear. Because the way I read that is the only way you eliminate all interference or distraction or any risk of distraction is the driver has no control over the car. Well, or you take it the other way. If they have no control over the car, they're always distracted. True, true. So, so legally, it's a very vague term. It's, it's a very vague term. And again, this is a problem with the infrastructure bill of trying to pick winners and losers. Okay. And in this case, it's not necessarily picking winners. It's trying to pick a loser. Right. They're trying to harm Tesla. And, you know, I don't care. I'm relatively neutral on Tesla, and I don't care where you stand. But the problem here is Congress may end up harming the development of autonomous vehicles by trying to hurt this Tesla. This is like slashing the tires on Henry Ford's factories in the early 20th century is what you're saying. Right. The most successful operation in mass production of vehicles, now this century Tesla being electric vehicles, you're pointing out that this bill would, in fact, handicap them and hit the brakes under development. Yeah. yeah. It's like the old joke that hardware store owner found a lamp and rubbed it and a genie popped out and said, hey, I'm going to grant you a wi one wish, but whatever you wish for, your rival hardware store across the street is going to receive twice of. Right. And so the hardware store owner thinks and then says, okay, destroy half my business. Hmm. Yeah, there you go. And, and that's <laughs> really what I'm looking at this going, hey, they want to harm Tesla, but in harming Tesla, they may harm the industry. Right. So let's pivot over to the next thing that I want to talk about today was the issue of a tax. Now, in this bill was included a Bitcoin tax. Now, Bitcoin already, there are taxes that do indirectly apply to Bitcoin already with the IRS, if I understand correctly. This Bitcoin tax, though, is not popular with the millennials, but there's also severe impact on the overall currency market and broader economy Walk our listeners through this idea of the Bitcoin tax and how the bipartisan infrastructure bill implements one or will implement one once Biden puts his pen to the paper and signs it. Yeah. Again, this is a problem of definitions. Okay. So let's take a step back. It's not just Bitcoin. It's all cryptocurrencies. We call it Bitcoin because that's the most popular form of cryptocurrency. Right. And let's also look at the benefits of cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency is really allowing people to both transact and to invest in a medium of exchange that right now seems to be accounting for inflation. Interesting. So, you know, you're worried about inflation right now. You want to go into something a little more stable. You go into to Bitcoin because it doesn't lose its buying power. As a matter of fact, it increases in buying power. Oh, indeed. In the last several years, its value has been increasing. Yeah. 
So it's also innovative. It's also new, which means Congress wants its piece of the pie. Of course. It wants to both tax it and regulate it because obviously the power to tax is the power to regulate. And so there is in the bipartisan infrastructure bill a provision that requires brokers and traders to report on transactions of more than $10,000 to the IRS. Now, you know, who knows what they mean of more than $10,000. I have to dig into this a little more to see if that's one time or if that's aggregate over the course of time. I don't know. The problem right now is the definition of the word broker. What they intend to do based off of some of the debate that went back and forth was to hit those who facilitate the transactions. So Bitcoin exists as a ledger. Okay. The best way I know how to describe it, even though it's more complex than that, is imagine a very complex Excel spreadsheet that lists every transaction that has occurred and is replicated across thousands of computers. Okay. There are various people involved in the stage. There are what's called miners, which are being rewarded with newly created Bitcoin, so newly created entries in the ledger, rows, okay. in exchange for validating all of the previous transactions. It's oversimplified, but they're doing that, and they're comparing all these spreadsheets that are spread across multiple computers, constantly validating the formula. So it actually creates reliance that it's an accurate representation. So those are those are miners. They're not really involved in transactions. Gotcha. Then you have wallet developers. So whenever you buy cryptocurrency, you have to hold it in some form of a wallet. So you have developers who are creating different types of wallets, different ways in which you can hold the cryptocurrency, whether it's on your phone or whether it's on your computer, and be designated as the person who owns it and who has the ability to transfer it. Gotcha. To buy things. Again, they're not involved in the transaction. They're creating a good or a service. Right. The problem with the infrastructure bill is the definition of broker is so wide that it's going to include those two categories, miners and wallet developers. That's going to increase regulatory compliance costs. It's going to increase risk. It's going to increase exposure. Because if they fail to report, and we don't know what they're going to be reporting because they're not involved in the transaction level, So due to the lack of specificity in regards to the legal language of the term broker in this tax, it means anyone involved in the Bitcoin industry effectively, the creation of these online wallets Mm -hmm. to help store the Bitcoin for individuals, the Bitcoin purchasers themselves, the miners, at every phase of this industry, you're saying, because of this vague definition, everyone's going to be subject to this new regulatory and tax policy. Yeah, it could be. Wow. And what that's going to have an impact on doing on technology and innovation is it may cause startups to think twice before launching in the United States. Instead, they may move to a more tax-friendly environment, you know, whether, I don't know, but whether it's Canada or Mexico or, you know, some island in the Caribbean. Right. So looking at this then, I know the cost of Bitcoin today as of November 9th is $66,000 US dollars. And again, The rule requires that brokers report trade information on transactions of more than $10,000. That's six times less than the cost of Bitcoin. Yeah, so you're you're looking at basically less than one-sixth of a Bitcoin. Right. So a ton of cryptocurrencies are going to fit underneath this umbrella for automatic reporting, and it's going to impact the industry dramatically. How much revenue would they get from this sort of tax? Is it not much? 
I'm pretty sure the number is sticking in my head, but I'm going to have to look at it more. I think they projected something like $28 billion Over 10 years. In revenue, in, in 10 years, yeah. $28 billion in 10 years. Yeah. That's not a lot in revenue. No, no, it's $2.8 billion a year. For perspective, for listeners, the federal government brings in $231 billion in corporate revenue per year. That's 1% of our annual revenue over 10 years. Not a lot of money for a tax that's going to affect a lot of people. So overall, looking at this bipartisan infrastructure bill, the pros and the cons, how do you solve the severe downfalls? This bill is going to become law. What can lawmakers do now to help address these two problems within this law to rectify the issues? What can be done? Yeah, well, I know on the cryptocurrency side, there was a bipartisan amendment. I know Pat Toomey was involved in it, and I can't remember all the others. I think Ted Cruz was to clarify that broker, the definition of broker shall not include wallet developers and miners, and to make it very clear, it's the transaction level. Gotcha. That was rejected. It was rejected because another amendment regarding some defense spending was also rejected. (laughs) So it was a tit-for-tat. Makes sense. I don't get my amendment, you don't get your amendment. So Congress could come back, and I think there's broad bipartisan support to pass a standalone new standard that says, hey, you can't actually consider these people to be involved in the transaction level. Okay. So it's a relatively easy fix. We'll see if there's the actual motivation to pass it now that it's done. As far as the transportation side of things, again, it's going to require something similar, but I don't know how much motivations they're going to be because of the focus on, I think, harming Tesla. Right. That's going to be something to have to overcome. And something to clarify, for example, that the distraction systems that they recognize that there's going to be abuses of technology wherever it exists and that you shouldn't regulate based off the abuse. Right. Wow. So the Toomey cruise moment might be revisited in some form or capacity, but the issue of Tesla is going to be one that's going to play out longer term, you think? Yeah, I think it's going to play out longer term. And I, I just think it's one of those that some of these are inherently good ideas, like the development of the electric vehicle infrastructure. Absolutely, yeah. But it should be tech neutral. Exactly. It should qualify for everyone. You can't cut the most popular vehicle out of the charging station. It's effectively the problem. Well, Jonathan, thanks for coming on to Across the State. It's been a pleasure and an honor to have you on as usual. Well, my pleasure. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. I'm your host, Matt Fisher, and be sure to tune in again next time for more of Across the States, the premier state policy podcast. Thank you for listening to Across the States, the leading state-focused policy podcast presented by the American Legislative Exchange Council, the premier free market organization of and for legislators. To learn more about our work or to make a tax-deductible donation, visit alec.org. Tell us what you think on Facebook and Twitter at Alec States. The views and opinions expressed on Across the States are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the American Legislative Exchange Council. 